Well, good evening, everyone. Well, that was one of you that said hi. Thank you. So good to be here. Um, have you guys, do you guys in this room, any of you have bucket list items? Like you've just got, you've got a bucket list and on the bucket list, you've got items, right? And, and you're wondering in your life uh, when those bucket list items will play out. Uh, I think all of us uh, have bucket list items. And one of the bucket list items that I have had for decades and uh, my wife and I have had for a long time um, is to travel to one of those places in the world where they have the little bungalows over the water, you know, and like the glass floor and you can see the fish underneath. And so that's, that's just been a, a giant bucket list item for a long, long time. And so Brooke, my wife and I had decided that for our 25th wedding anniversary, which was two years ago, uh, we would find uh, one of these places and go like Bora Bora or the Maldives. Um, and then of course we had that little thing called COVID and, um, we didn't really want to do like 45 hours of travel uh, in the middle of all of that. And, and so we waited and pushed it back. And uh, just this year, in fact, last week, uh, we got to go and celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary on our 27th uh, wedding anniversary time. Um, uh, and, and we got to go for a little bucket list item, right? And so the bucket list item was to go to the Maldives, uh, which is off the coast of India. Uh, to get there, it is 40 hours of travel um, and 41 hours back because of the headwinds. And, and so we went to this little island uh, in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's like five acres. It is a coral reef is what it is. The, the entire island is just a coral reef uh, with like the top of the coral reef sticking out enough that there's some sand and some things so that they could put some bungalows on there. Uh, and, and you go to this little island. Literally, when we landed in Mali, which is the capital of the Maldives, the boat ride to the island was an hour and 20 minutes at full speed with nothing but ocean until you arrive at this island. And you're like, <laughs> welcome. And um, when you're at this island, you know, you always wonder with bucket list items, like when you get to your bucket list, are you going to be disappointed? Because you know what you do with a bucket list, right? You kind of build it up in your mind. It's going to be unbelievable. The snorkeling is going to be unbelievable. The, the things you're going to see are going to be unbelievable. And then you arrive there and you're like, eh. It's not, as, not quite as unbelievable as it was in my mind. Well, in this particular case, everything we experienced on this island was better than what I imagined. So the snorkeling on this island, I don't, how many of you guys have ever gone snorkeling? So, so there you go. So, so you know what I'm talking about. Like, snorkeling is awesome, right? And I have been snorkeling, uh, by God's grace, in some pretty incredible places. I mean, we've snorkeled off the coast of Belize, off the coast of Cozumel, off the coast of Key West, uh, in Africa, South Africa. I've snorkeled lots of places. And so we get to this little, this little coral reef, and you literally walk off the beach into the ocean, and around the entire island is just one big giant coral reef. And I have never in my life gone out and snorkeled in a place like this. Every second that you were in the water, there were a thousand new things to see. I mean, uh, reef sharks, black tip sharks, white tip sharks, nurse sharks, stingray, uh, moray eels, sea turtles, and a thousand variety of incredible fish. Big, giant, small, everything you can imagine. It was unthinkable in every way. And so when you're on the island, like my feeling constantly was 
every second I'm on the actual land, I'm missing out. You know what I'm saying? Because right there was this magical, wondrous, incredible coral reef with a thousand new things to discover. And every time I went out, you were just overwhelmed by what you were seeing. So uh, there was on this little island, a swimming pool. I don't know why. I mean, why you put a swimming pool on an island that is a coral reef is beyond me other than rinsing the salt off your body when you come out of the wonders of the ocean. But legitimately, there were actually people that came to this island and spent the majority of their time sitting by that stupid swimming pool. Like I would walk by throughout the day in the multiple times we went out into the ocean and see that couple and that other couple sitting by the pool. And I would want to walk up to them and go, why are you here? Why did you come to this? If you wanted a swimming pool, go to Florida. I mean, for goodness sakes, why would you come to the most extraordinary place on the planet to to snorkel and spend your days by a stupid swimming pool? that's, That's how it felt. Like, I'm just giving you my genuine feelings. There was actually a lady... Uh, there was a number of staff on the island and, and one of the women that was on the island, she had like a two-year contract on the island, so she was living on the island. And just so you know, like the fact that I'm back here is, is a miracle because I legitimately, at one of the dinners on the island, I was like, there's gotta be a way I could stay here. There's gotta be a way I could live on this island. There was this guy that, that had this white thing, like a, like a fly swatter, but a big square thing, sticky on both sides. And he would walk around at breakfast and lunch like this and just like catch flies. And I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> like I want, they don't have to pay me as long as they feed me and I can snorkel in the afternoons, I'm in. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and that's like, that's the totality of your stress. <laughs> and then snorkel, and then, ah, and snorkel. I'm like, yes. So there's this woman that lives on the island, and, and she has a job there. And so I was chatting with her, and I asked her, I'm like, what, what is it like to live on an island where anytime you're on a break, you just walk out off the beach into this wondrous place? And she's like, I've never snorkeled here. And I'm like, how long have you been here? Like a day? And she's like, oh, I've been here a number of months months and she'd never gone in the water so I'm like why not and she's like oh I don't know how to swim I'm like learn learn now like it is it is actually an unthinkable travesty that somebody lives on this island and doesn't go in the water to see what awaits them so Uh, Last week, you guys know we stepped into a a new letter, right? Uh, A letter that Peter is writing, and he's writing to the same set of churches that he was writing to when he wrote his first letter. The the difference between the first letter that he wrote, known as 1 Peter, and the second letter he wrote, known as 2 Peter, uh, is, is profound in some ways because by the time he's writing this second letter, though he is still in Rome, pastoring the church in Rome, Paul is in Rome under house arrest. The two of them are chatting regularly. In fact, he mentions Paul in this letter and, and refers to him. The, the difference is that in the writing of the second letter, Peter knew something uh, that he did not uh, n- know in the first letter. He knew that the end of his life was imminent. 
It's quite a thing to know based on what is unfolding that the likelihood that you are going to die is imminent. And, and when you are around somebody that knows they're going to die, perhaps they have found out that they, they have some kind of an illness and there is no cure and they've been given a timeline. Or especially when you're around people that know that the, the days or hours are all that's left, there is a profound urgency to pay attention to the thoughts and words that they will speak, the things that they will say. Because we as human beings, when we realize that this may be the very last time we have an engagement with somebody we care about, we think about what we're going to say differently. And so Peter, in this letter, as he writes, realizes that this may be his last word to all of these churches. And so we, stepping into this letter, should pay a different kind of urgency to this letter than we do perhaps to others, just because it's one of those letters uh, where we just know this is the last word from a person who has lived now for decades post the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that has seen and watched the unfolding movement of the early New Testament church and is bringing to us sort of this like, where do you go from here? Uh, last week, if you were here, you remember that um, Danny, as he shared, uh, talked about Paul's, uh, I mean, Peter's bent in this letter, right? And this letter actually, oddly enough, is very similar in terms of the focal points to the other letters being written around the same time from Paul, from John, from some of the others. There is going to be some major realities you will see in all of these letters, which should also tell us these are important realities for us to pay attention to in the lives that we live as as followers of Jesus in 2023. The first focal point is going to be that we ought to make sure that not a second ever goes by that we are not acutely aware of the extraordinary grace that God has affected toward us. The gift that we have from God is by definition will always be beyond the capacity of your and my imagination. If you spend the rest of your life discovering and imagining the magnitude of God's grace and God's gift towards you, you are not capable of getting there. We, we should just live in that. And so you're going to see Peter just press into the grace of God and the gift that God has given to us. And then you're going to see Peter and the other authors say, in view of God's grace and his gift, here is our response. You're just going to see a consistent calling, a consistent invitation, a consistent compulsion to say, if this is true, what God has given us, then what choice do we have but to respond to it in these ways? And then one of the things you're going to find is a constant obsession with us being diligent to pay attention to what is true. To, 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 to discover, to recognize, to understand, to know the truth to such an extent that when falsehood shows up in front of us, we recognize it. Because if we buy into false teaching, then the grace and gift that is that thing we are to remember is diminished. Then our response is not sustainable or is wrongly placed and the entire thing falls apart. So you're going to constantly see this drive toward, here is the grace of God, here is our worship response, and please, please, please don't buy into false teaching. And that is exactly what Peter is going to do in this letter. 
Now, as he launches into the beginning of this letter, after his greeting, we begin to watch where he begins now to unpack the magnitude as best a human can of God's grace toward us. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. And let's go jump in where Danny left off last week. We're going to be in verse 3 of 2 Peter. And if you have your Bibles, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't, sit back, listen, and enjoy the Word of God as it unfolds before us. So, verse 3, here's what he says. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So whose divine power is it that has granted the, this reality that Peter is about to unpack? Whose divine power? His divine power, God's. You and I are not in this passage as part of what has affected the receiving of this grace, this gift. Notice that he's not saying God's divine power and your extraordinary faithfulness has. He's simply saying you are the recipient of some things because of his divine power. That's it. And, and we ought to just remember everything we're about to read that we are recipients of is because of God's grace and God's power by God's power because of God's grace. And what is it that he has given us? What is this gift? He has given us what things? I'll read it to you since you guys are. His divine power has granted to us all things. All things. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Not some things, not most things, not, not, not a lot of things. How many things? All things that pertain to what? To life into godliness. So this is not exclusively talking about eternity and the life we will have after we leave this crazy planet. It is talking about how much of life? All of it. All of life. Now life. Eternal life. Temporal life. We have been given by God's divine power all that we need for the life to, that we are to live and the godliness by which we are to live that life. That's quite a thing just to sit in for a second. It sort of disqualifies the excuse we often bring that if only I, then I could. If only I had a little more this. If only I had a little more that, a little more faith, a little more strength, a little more. And God's like, you have by my spirit everything you will ever need to walk in the things I've called you to walk in. It doesn't mean you will walk in them. It doesn't mean it will be easy. It doesn't mean you'll always choose it. But you don't get to say, I would have if I had. Because how much has he given us? All for what? Life and godliness, right? Now, now watch this. This is what Peter does. He says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So Peter is beginning to show us what it is we have been called into, what it is we are recipients of. We have been called by God's divine power into a reality in which we share in his glory and his excellence. I just want you to stop here for a second. You and I should have no business ever sharing in any way in the glory and excellence of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like when it comes to glory and excellence that is of God, what part of that do you or I belong 
in whatsoever. Zero. And yet, here's what Peter's saying. God, by his divine power, in giving us all things we need for life and godliness, has now affected something in us that we share in his glory and his excellence. We are, have been given what we need to be reflectors of, image bearers of his glory and his excellence. And that should cause us to go, wait a second, what does that mean? That I, as a follower of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, given the word of God, in the community of God, have all that I need to be able to be an image bearer, a displayer of God's glory and excellence. And then he says this, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. I, I love Peter. When you, when, you, when you catch Paul or Peter running out of words, and they, they're, they're, like, they're like add stuff. You could just say his, his wonderful and great promises. But, but what does Peter write? He writes his very great promises. Like they're just, they're beyond anything we can imagine. So that through them, you may become part takers of the divine nature. Here is what you and I are recipients of. By God's power, by his divine power, we have been given all that we need to be the bearers of his glory and excellence. And in so bearing, we are actually partakers in the very nature of his character, his divinity. It doesn't mean we become God. It means that his nature, his character, his qualities, what, what do we get to partake in? Those things. You and I, by our faith in Christ and the empowerment of his spirit that we have received and the revelation of his word and the biblical community we've been given are given the privilege, the honor, the extraordinary reality that we can partake in his character, looking like him, being like him, displaying the things that makes him him. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy that we have been given this ability, this gift, this calling, this reality. And, and as though Peter's like, okay, it would be insane just to imagine that we have been given this privilege. But don't forget, it's not like you and I were in a neutral place. Like we were okay. And now we've been given this gift to be partakers in the divine nature, uh, able to display the glory and excellence of God by his divine power and his empowerment. What Peter's going to say is, remember, before you received this gift, you were not in a neutral place. You were in a devastating place. Listen, he's, he says this, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. We were once children of sin, children of wrath, children uh, enslaved by sin. And what does sin do? Always, every time it destroys it corrupts, it, it, it tears apart. And he's saying, you and I are the recipients of a rescue that has caused us to escape the devastation of what sin was going to affect for us in eternity as well as in this temporal life. 
And not only are we moved from this devastating place into a neutral place, but we are moved into a place where we are the recipients of God's glory and excellence, displaying His glory and excellence, because by His divine power, we are empowered to be able to do that, being image bearers of God, and in so doing, partaking in His divine nature. Peter is trying to help us understand what we are recipients of, what life we now get to live, what kingdom we now belong to, what king we now serve, what king is now our father and whose children we belong to, or rather whose children we are. Peter's like, do you understand what we have? And then he says in verse five, for this reason, for this very reason, what reason? This knowledge, this clarity, this gift we are recipients of, this divine nature we get to partake in, this glory and excellence we are now uh, a part of, this, this rec receiving of God's divine power so that we have all things for life and godliness. For this very reason, what are we to do? And he says this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So there is now this response. Our faith that God has authored for us, Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, this faith that we have, this gift we've received, this, this thing that is God's divine power that has empowered us to be part of all this, in light of all of that, you and I are invited called, compelled to step forward and say, I want to actively participate in what I've been given. I want to supplement my faith with what? With virtue. Well, you know what virtue is, right? You know what virtue means? And everybody nods, virtue. Yes, that is a word I know, virtue. I remember learning about that in third grade, I'm sure. But it's been a while, so perhaps a reminder of exactly what virtue is would be helpful. And so the dictionary is always helpful. Virtue, I looked it up. Moral excellence, goodness, righteousness, the conformity of one's life and conduct to moral and ethical principles, uprightness, or attitudes. In other words, Virtue is when you or I choose to take something we know or have discovered as good and right, a morality, a code, an ethic, and put it into practice. When you do something that is right, that you have discovered to be right, then you are virtuous. To to, to step into virtue is simply to take what you know is right and to practice it, to do it. That's virtue. And so Peter says, in light of what we have discovered God has done for us, empowered us to, we should supplement our faith with virtue, with taking what we know is right, God's way, and putting it into practice. It's not complicated. It's not, it's not like, okay, here's what we're going to do. It's going to get super complicated. He's simply this. Take what you know is right and good, God's way, and do it. Do it. And then he says this. And virtue with knowledge. 
So now he's going to begin a journey through these seven realities that constitute the beauty and reality of God's divine nature, of God's character. God's character is always going to take what is right and do it. That's right. And God's character is always going to know everything that is right and good. So he says this, take what you know is right and good and do it and keep growing in what you know is right and good. If you do not grow in knowledge, then you do not know what is right and good. Then you do not know what to practice. So if you want to be a person of virtue, you need to also be a person who grows in the knowledge of God and his rightness. And so with virtue, knowledge, grow in knowledge. And then he says this, and with knowledge, grow with, into self-control. What happens when you know what is good and right and you keep putting it into practice? And then you learn more of what is good and right and you keep putting it into practice. What is the eventual end of a continual journey of growing in what you know is good and right and putting it into practice? I'll tell you what it is, self-control. Anybody here want to be around a bunch of people that have no self-control? Raise your hand. I want to. I love being around people that have no self-control. They're the funnest people to be around. Totally unpredictable. Horridly difficult. Because at any second, whatever whim they have, they'll affect on me. When you are around a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, a neighbor, or an enemy that lacks self-control, it is the most unsettling, unsafe place in the world. Because you never know what craziness is about to happen that you will be the recipient of. But how many of us would like to be around a people that display a great deal of self-control? They are predictable. They are safe. They are stable. They're the kinds of people you want to be around. And here's what, here's what Peter says. Man, listen. Put into practice what you know is right. Grow in what you know is right. And what will happen as you do that is that you will become a person that finds yourself more and more able to be a person of self-control. Live in that self-control. And then watch this. And with self-control, self-control with steadfastness. What is steadfastness? It is, it is the immovability, the predictability, the steadfastness of life. Instead of, what is the opposite of steadfastness? To be tossed to and fro. So if you want to be a person that lives your life being tossed back and forth by the whims and realities of circumstance in this world and other people, by all means, ignore all of this. But if you want to be a person that regardless of what is happening around you, you are steadfast, stable, not tossed back and forth to and fro, a person's full of self-control, then supplement your faith with virtue and the growth of knowledge and self-control and steadfastness will be the fruit of that beauty. And then with steadfastness, once you have that, steadfastness with godliness. Look, how, look, look, at, what, look at what Peter's saying is, as we engage in participating in what we have been empowered to do, virtue, growing with knowledge into self-control, leading to steadfastness, what is the ultimate fruit of this growth of these things? Godliness. What is godliness? Well, we, we looked into that when we were preaching through one of the other books, but it's been a while, so I thought I'd just remind us all. Godliness. So I looked it up in the dictionary. The quality 
or practice of conforming to the laws and wishes of God out of devoutness. Then the next word is piety. So godliness and piety are the same. What is piety? So I looked up piety. Reverence for God or devout fulfillment of religious obligations. In other words, godliness or piety are, is not the act of doing what is right exclusively. You can actually do all the godly things and not be godly. Godliness is when you're doing what's right out of devotion to God. That's godliness. Let me say it again. Godliness is not just doing godly things. It is when we do those godly things as an act of worship out of our devotion for God. When you love God and you trust God and because you love him and trust him, you do the things he calls you to do. That is considered godliness, even though it looks exactly the same as someone who perhaps is doing godly things. So when we supplement our faith with virtue, choosing to do the things that we know are right, that God has said is right, and we grow in knowledge so that we can grow in virtue, then we grow in self-control. And as we grow in self-control, we grow in steadfastness. And as we grow in steadfastness, we grow in godliness. Do you want to be around a people? Do you want to be a person who others are around? And what comes out of you is what is good and right and godly because you are in love with God and trust God? Is that not what you want? Is that not what I want? And here Peter says, it's ours for the taking. We step into it. We supplement our faith with it. And then he says this as though he's not done because he's not done. <clears throat> and godliness with brotherly affection. Now this is kind of a weird one. It felt weird to me at least because you've got this like whole growing list of like these things that come out of me, you know, like, like virtue and then growing knowledge, which leads to steadfastness. I mean, to, to self-control and growing self-control, which leads to steadfastness and growing steadfastness, which leads to godliness. And then it's like, and growing godliness, which leads to oh, brotherly affection. And I just kind of felt like, whoa, whoa switching tracks. Brotherly affection, why, why this one? Well, actually, <clears throat> turns out that the fruit of godliness in God's kingdom is the fruit of loving one another. Because what did Jesus say? At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, they're gonna know that you belong to me, that you are followers of mine by your love for each other. At the end of the day, if godliness simply leads to good behavior, we've missed the entire point. The entire point of godliness, which is the fruit of, 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 of steadfastness, which is the fruit of self-control, which is the fruit of, of growing in knowledge and applying it through virtue. At the end of the day, the fruit of godliness should be an ongoing affection and love and unity toward each other. Brotherly affection means that regardless of whether you are awesome or an idiot, I am going to love you. What? Yeah, no longer is it about you treating me right so that then I like you. It's about me being loving toward you because I'm in love with God. Godliness leads to brotherly affection and unity so that the world sees what Jesus said would show them that we follow Jesus. And then he says, and brotherly affection with love the seventh of the list, the crowning jewel. Why love? Because at the end of the day, 
when you follow God and you realize what his divine nature embodies at its greatest brilliance is love. When Jesus was asked, okay, boil it down, man. All the commands, all the prophecies, all the everything. If you had to put it all into one thing, most important thing, what is it? And what did Jesus say? Love. Love God with how much of yourself? All of yourself. And love your neighbor. At the end of the day, when we are the displayers, the image bearers of God's glory and excellence, then we are the displayers of brotherly affection and of a love that is full, full for God and full for each other. And so Peter says, step into this. Why? Because, remember, for this very reason, that you understand what you have been recipients of, a power, a divine power that has granted you all that you need for life and godliness. And then look what he says. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, then you know, if you have journeyed with Jesus at all, that our greatest commission, our greatest calling is to do what? Okay, so I'll, I'll help you out, okay? <laughs> it's gonna be good. It's gonna be brand new news for you. We are to be image bearers of God by displaying the gospel to the world, by showing the world who Jesus is and what he's done for us, telling them and living it and showing them so that they will come to know Jesus and have the same freedom and glory and wonder that we have. We are to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and make it known to the entire planet. Just so you know, in case you were uncertain. <laughs> So we are to take the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel, and make it known. We are to be effective in that. If you are a follower of Jesus, you want to be effective in the commission to which he has called us, the purpose by which we live on this planet. And here's what Peter just said. Do you want to be fruitful and effective in carrying the gospel to the world? then don't take another class where you understand the gospel. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Take those classes, but that's not what's going to ultimately make you effective. What's gonna make you effective is to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with brotherly affection. I mean, with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Because if you do these things, then you will be effective and fruitful in making the knowledge of Jesus Christ known to the world. It's not complicated, difficult, yes, but not impossible. Why? Because by his divine power, he has given us how much? All things necessary for what? All life and godliness. And then Peter, being Peter, he does one of these. I love it. I love Peter and Paul because they just get to this point where they're like, I can feel it inside of them. They're like, I need, I need to get through to these folks. And then look what he does. He says this. <clears throat> Therefore, oh, I'm sorry, for, verse nine, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So here's what he says next. It's, it's like Peter gets this point like, man, this is what God has done for us. This is what we were recipients of. This is what we're empowered to. This is what we are partakers in. This is what we get to do. So in response to that, supplement your faith with this active participation in these incredible things. If you do this, you will be fruitful and effective. 
For those of you that choose to ignore this and live your own life, despite the fact that you are a follower of Jesus, you are so nearsighted that you are blind. I didn't say it, he did. He didn't call you blind because you're not blind. You know Jesus. He's now speaking to people who know Jesus. He's not speaking to people that don't know Jesus. He's like, if you are a follower of Christ and you don't supplement your faith and engage in these things, then you are so nearsighted. You cannot see what God has waiting for you. Do you know who you are? You're the person by the swimming pool on that island. That's what you are. That's what he's saying. You are a participant in the kingdom of God. You are a recipient of the power of God. You know who you are. You know what you're here for. You know what your future is. You know what you've been given. You know what you've been empowered to. You are on the island, man. You did the 40 hours and you're on the island and you're sitting by the pool. Are you out of your mind? There is an entire reef waiting for you to enjoy and discover. And because you do not want to supplement your faith with virtue and the growth of knowledge and the leading to self-control, leading uh, to steadfastness, leading to godliness, leading to brotherly affection, leading to love, because you want to do your own thing, you are going to be on this island, part of this kingdom, and you're going to be ineffective and unfruitful. You're going to be sitting by the stupid swimming pool while an entire reef waits for you. And that's what he's saying. Don't be that idiot. Don't be that fool. Don't know what you know. And then choose to live outside of the ongoing growth of the knowledge of God and putting into practice what you learn. Don't do that. Can you do that? Sure you can. You can come to the island and sit by the pool. You're welcome to do that. You're just stupid. <laughs> no, I mean, really. You're just crazy. And that's what Peter's trying to say here. He's, he's not trying to be mean. He's just trying to be honest and just say, do you understand how crazy it would be if you know this and then you just choose not to do it? Man, that'd be crazy. You'd be so nearsighted that I'm just going to go ahead and call you blind. Don't be that person. That's what Peter's trying to say. And then he says this. Listen, therefore, brothers, verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, what he's not saying is, if you do these things, then you get salvation. Because we already know Peter, of all the authors of Scripture, would vehemently come and like go ballistic on you if you said, Peter, you said that we have to do these things to get salvation. He is of all the people, the one that says, who saved you? Jesus. Who alone? Jesus. It's because of his grace and his glory that you are saved. Your eternal life has nothing to do with your virtues and everything to do with his grace. But, but once you know him, choosing to live in the way of sin, in the way of the world, which is corruption and death, would be idiocy. So choose to live his way. And when you do, in addition to the freedom that you get and the freedom you display to the world, here's something else that happens. It is a way of confirming to yourself in regularity the authenticity of your faith. What do we mean by that? 
James wrote the very first letter to the early New Testament church. It was right at a time where Peter was arrested. This was way back 30 years before this letter. Uh, and, and James, the disciple of Jesus, was killed by Herod. He had his head chopped off. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, living in Jerusalem, leading the church in Jerusalem, writes the very first letter out to the early New Testament church, the book of James. And he starts out, you know, to the 12 tribes scattered. Man, uh, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because there were a lot of trials going on. And in that letter, he writes a section about faith and he says this, you tell me you have faith, fantastic. I'll tell you how I will show you that I have faith by the things I do, the response to that faith. Now he doesn't say that if you don't have actions that play out by your faith, then your faith is definitely not authentic. He's just saying, if you don't, it might not be authentic. And that's kind of a scary place to live, right? If we say we believe something and live opposed to what we say we believe, perhaps we don't believe it. And so he's like, listen, how do you know each day without a shadow of a doubt the beauty and authenticity of your faith? How can you just be certain of it? By watching it play out in the reality of the way you live. And so what he's saying here is this. There are those of you who are not doing the things of God despite having faith because you're just nearsighted and blind. Well, thank God you have faith, but you're nearsighted and blind. So you're a person with faith and you're an idiot. Sorry. There's those of you that the reason you don't live by your faith is because your faith isn't actually faith. And what he's saying is, why would you want to live in that place where you're either an idiot or your faith isn't real? Why wouldn't you rather want to live in a place where you are putting into practice the things you are learning and knowing of God so that every day you wake up and say, my faith is playing out into actual things, actual action that is bearing fruit and being effective. And so my certainty and my, and my, my confidence in the authenticity of what God has birthed in me just grows each day. Do you see what Peter's trying to say? He's trying to say, don't you want to live a life where the confidence of God's authentic faith that he's birthed in you is just growing and growing? In addition to the freedom you'll already have, you'll also grow in that confidence. And then Peter goes, as though that's not enough. Listen to this. He says, and for those of us who choose to say, I'm going to supplement my faith with action, with virtue, with stepping into participating with what God has already empowered me to participate in, he says this. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is not saying, if you do these things, you get into heaven. What he's saying is this. If you live out your faith, if your life reflects your faith, then when you leave this planet and you enter eternity, there is also the wonders and riches of entering eternity in a way that you discover you're a person that actually enjoyed snorkeling the wondrous reef of living on this planet for God instead of sitting by the dumb pool of sin while the reef waited for you. Can you imagine showing up on the other side of eternity and finding out that all the things you did were useless, unfruitful, ineffective, and they meant nothing to the kingdom of God, but thank God you at least get into heaven. I do not want to be that person. And there is in Revelation the reality that all of our works, it says, will be cast into a fire. And that which was done for God, virtuous, full of knowledge and goodness, full of self-control, the characters of God will come out as reward. As, 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 as gift, as jewels that we get to have and offer to our king. 
And that which was done for ourselves will burn up in that fire. And so what I believe Peter is saying here is, in addition to everything else that's already awesome about living a life where you supplement your faith with action, is that when you leave this planet and enter eternity, you enter richly provided for. You will see your works fall into the fire. And with great wonder and excitement, you will see the supplementation of your faith birth riches that you can offer to your king. Instead of watching your works burn up in a fire and realize, I just sat by a stupid swimming pool doing what I wanted to do when I knew better. I was part of the island, on the island, with a reef surrounding me, and I sat by the stupid swimming pool. So Peter begins this letter by offering us this. Followers of Jesus, since you know what you know that he has done for you, since you are empowered by his divine power for all things necessary for life and godliness, live life in a godly way because you can. And if you are here like I am and you struggle, you have temptation, you struggle with addiction, you are trying, but it seems so difficult. I have given you my word. I have empowered you by my spirit and I've given you biblical community. Have the courage to go and tell some folks I'm struggling. Stir me up and spur me on toward love and good deeds. Help me to engage in virtue and godliness. Be with me as I do because you have what you need if you choose not to step into it. If I choose not to step into it, it is out of fear, not courage. It is out of idiocy, not wisdom. And I can do that. And my faith may still be very much real, but I would be nearsighted and blind. What a foolish thing to do. Instead, choose the reef. Come, join the followers of Jesus and see the wonders that God has waiting for you if you live your life supplementing your faith with action, trusting God and doing what he says. First Peter was awesome. Second Peter, I don't know, awesomer. Let's see where it takes us. Pray with me. God, thank you for your incredible love for us and this amazing letter that you once again, by your spirit, empowered Peter to write on our behalf so that we might know your grace, the gift you have given us, the power we have by your spirit, through your word in biblical community, the calling that is ours to share in your glory and excellence, to be partakers in your divine nature and to supplement our faith with action so that we might be fruitful and effective in making the gospel known instead of short-sighted, nearsighted, and blind, doing stuff that's useless. Help us to be a people that get up from the swimming pool that calls us to the things we want and join you on the reef of wonder doing the things you've said are good and right. Take us there. Take us there together. Show us the way. In Jesus' name.